Handoff. Joe McKnight changes directions, walks into the end zone. Touchdown, USC. And the Trojans have opened up a 35-10 lead. fans, it's time to get into the game with the Peristyle Podcast. Every week you can get your Trojan football fix as the uscfootball.com staff brings you the latest on the USC football team and the inside scoop on recruiting. And now, here are your hosts of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey Hyde. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. Uh, this is episode six of the Peristyle Podcast. Can't believe we've done six of these already. And uh, I'm joined, as every week, with the coach, Harvey Hyde. How are you doing, coach? I'm doing pretty good, there, Ryan. And I uh, want to thank you very much for letting me uh, join you here in the huddle. God, can you imagine that? Number six already. Yes, there are times flying. I just wanted to thank you, especially for uh, you letting me on your radio show last week on Thursday over at the beautiful Burger Continental in Pasadena. I did an hour uh, Trojan talk with you. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and uh, I want to thank you for coming up and joining us in our huddle. You know, we joined uh, yeah, well, we have that Trojan huddle there every Thursday night, and uh, we want to make uh, everyone aware that they can come by the Burger Continental at 535 South Lake in Pasadena. Join us. Have fun. We've got food. We've got a lot of uh, Trojans that hang out with us. We've got the big screens there, too, so we watch all the sporting events. So, it's sort of a fun uh, evening for everyone yeah it was a lot of fun i had a good time doing your show people are out there looking at you you're kind of the godfather over there at the burger continental everyone knows who you are how can uh, people listen to you on the, your daily show well i'll tell you what they can do uh, they can uh, i do uh when the football season's not on and i don't do the pre-game show and i don't do the uh, trojan brunch on espn here in la i do my regular show which airs in las vegas on Monday nights at 6 p.m., Tuesday nights at 6 p.m., Wednesday nights at uh, 6 p.m., and then on Thursday night we come to Pasadena at the Burger Continental, and we go 6 to 7 with our regular show, and then 7 to 8 is the USC Trojan Talk show. So if you're in Las Vegas or the surrounding area of Las Vegas, you just go to AM 1400, and you can catch the show there. Or if you live in California or somewhere else, you can go to the website of the station, which is KSHP, KSHP.com, and just go in there where it says programming and just hit listen, and you'll be able to hear the shows live on any of those nights. And, you know, uh, I want to mention this because you were talking with us at the show last Thursday, and you said you might want to be able to, or you're looking forward possibly to picking that show up, USC Trojan Talk every Thursday night and just putting it right on your website for an additional thing for all the Trojan fans. Yeah, we're working on the technical aspects of that, trying to do that, so uh, we'll keep everyone informed. That would be great. Another hour of Trojan Talk football uh, every week. It'd be great for the for all the fans out there. Um, just wanted to start off with a, a segment. If you have any questions for the podcast, for the coach, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Today we're going to do a little football 101 segment and kind of talk about some of the technical aspects of the offensive line. Uh, Coach, the, the Trojans run a, a zone blocking scheme. Just wanted to kind of talk about that a little bit. What's the uh, what's the main principles behind a zone blocking scheme? 
Well, before we get to zone blocking, I want to tell you, I just got a statement here that came across the wire saying my ratings on the USC Trojan Talk Show last Thursday when you were on, Ryan, Yes. were unbelievable. So ah, you're going to awesome. have to come back more often. I uh, really are. It's unbelievable ratings we got. Okay, well, anytime I can help you out, Coach, I always will. Okay, buddy. Hey, uh, listen, uh, zone blocking or, or offensive line play is something that's probably one of the most difficult areas to learn because there's so many different techniques that you utilize in an offensive line. You have to have, uh, first of all, uh, great athletes that have uh, great ability to recognize defensive defenses, talk to each other, communicate without talking to each other, and doing different types of, of techniques on the offensive line. You're expected to zone block, block areas. You're expected to have power blocking. You're expected to block short yardage. You're expected to block draw blocking. You're expected to do pass blocking, uh, uh, quick blocking and pass blocking, which means step to the inside, seal to the inside for the three-step drops. You're supposed to have uh, all these different techniques that you're supposed to be able to do against probably some of the greatest gifted athletes in the world that play defensive line. The defensive ends come across the ball. They're all 6'5", 6'6", now and run 4'6", 4'7". You've got 300-pounders playing nose guard and defensive tackles. So you've got to be able to take advantage of one thing that you know, and that's the snap count and, number two, the area of attack. That's the only thing the defense doesn't know. So you're, you've got to be able to take advantage of that in the way you execute your techniques on the offensive line, whether it's a zone block technique, which USC uses an awful lot, where they try to put you man-on-man on a defensive personnel player. doesn't have to be always the guy that lines up on you. And you, they allow their gifted tailbacks or running backs to be able to find the area where they can hit the seam and make the yard. And basically what that is, Ryan, if I'm a defensive or an offensive tackle, let's say I'm the right offensive tackle, and I know the play is coming behind me or to my outside leg, which is an aiming point, let's say, of the tailback, and I know that I have to block that area of point of attack, then I'm going to step to that area of point of attack, which it means if I have a player playing on me or my outside shoulder, I'm going to step to him loudly, but up the field, at least at a six-inch step up the field, bringing my off leg and firing off the line of scrimmage. Now, if that player remains there that I'm blocking, I stay on him. I block him aggressively down the field. But if at any time that player starts to lead me on his own will, like immediately crashing to the inside of me from a head-up position, I let him go because I know he is going to take me away and someone is going to fill for him in that gap, which means if I don't pick that person up that's coming to that gap, then that person is going to make the tackle. So I allow him to go. The guard makes the same step that I make. That means the guy that was on me goes to the guard. The guard then squares his shoulders, takes that person along the line of scrimmage, not allowing him to penetrate. We've got to play on their side of the line of scrimmage. We cannot allow push to come across the line of scrimmage. Otherwise, our backs can't skate along the line of scrimmage or hit the seams or cut back because there's penetration. So I would allow that guy to go to the inside, and I would pick up whoever came to that area. But someone has the responsibility of where that tackle left. It could be a linebacker scraping. It could be a, an outside linebacker pinching. 
It can be a safety blitzing. But whoever comes to that area of attack, which is my outside leg, I'm responsible for that individual. Now that goes all the way down the line of scrimmage, from the right tackle to the right guard to the center to the to the uh, left guard to the left left tackle. Now, in some situations, in the old days when we did a lot of man blocking, we would full block, which would mean that the guard would block off to stop the uh, the the pursuit of the offside guard, and we'd pull the guard around to pick up the linebacker that the center couldn't get to. But now, instead of doing full blocking, there's a lot of zone blocking, and what happens with that if you don't if you're able to cut off all the gaps and don't don't allow the push of the defensive tackles who are now all 300 pounds pushing the guards up the field now your back has an actual chance of trying to find the seam hit the seam and make positive yardage now there's all different types of blocking depending what the play is and where you are on the field in a short yardage situation you don't necessarily zone block because now the defensive lineman is on your nose coming straight up the field and pitching to the inside, and everybody's pitching to the inside. And if you allow penetration, if you allow penetration, then they stack stack up the line of scrimmage, and your back can't find the area to hit the goal line or go over the top. So now you have to close it down some or and not allow your gaps to be so big, splits between the tackles and the guards in the center, and you now fire off aggressively, owning the line of scrimmage, driving or trying to drive the defensive lineman back off the line of scrimmage so that you're back to make positive yardage. So there's, it depends where you are in the field. It depends what, what the play call is. Some plays are designed to just completely go outside. Some plays are designed to run along the line of scrimmage, let the back, if you notice, the back will shuffle step, do a crossover shuffle, take the ball in his hands and decide where he's going to go. And then you see also the back running to the outside leg of the tackle and breaking it to the outside or breaking it straight up the seam. So there's all kinds of different theories on where the play is supposed to go. You're never wrong if you seal the line of scrimmage and there's no penetration and the back has the ability to use his God-given ability to find that seam and make positive yardage. Now, not only there is there just for the offensive line zone blocking, you've got draw blocking, you've got short yardage blocking. You haven't seen much trap blocking as there used to be in the past, a lot of quick traps and trapping that's going on. But I see that coming back. I think you're going to see a more slimmer lineman, a lineman that can run, especially the guards, trap, uh, get to the outside, put pressure on the perimeter, and, and spread the field as you spread the field with your receivers. I think that now the players are so dominant that if your guards are coming up the field and you can't block the guards, then the best way to do is to trap the guards. Trap the guards. Do quick hitting plays with your fullback straight up the middle. The guard's going one way and you going the other way as a running back. And I think you're going to see some of that come back with the offensive play. But there's so many skilled, great players that play defense. Whenever a player has a positive, there's another positive way of attacking that player. Uh, you either beat him with his quickness or you beat him with his strength, but you use what he does well and you use a technique or an offensive play to try to beat him with what he's positive in doing. You don't try to beat him with what he's positive in doing. 
and try to set him up and set him up for traps and do things that you can do to take away his aggressiveness so that he isn't as aggressive on some of the plays that you don't want him to be. Wow. Hey, great stuff, Coach. I think you're right, though. Sometimes you see some of the uh, older school techniques coming back. Uh, you're seeing so much spread offense right now. Uh, you know, where they're doing, they're running basically a lot of stuff that you, they did back when they're doing the wishbone. Uh, obviously, there's more passing involved. And, you know, they're just trying to take those really athletic defenses and spread them out a little bit and try and make it so that it's harder for those really athletic four, five, forty linebackers that still weigh 245 pounds, make it a little harder on them to make plays. You're exactly right. Why allow them to step up and make a big play, spread them out, give them more responsibility, make them think about the pass, make them think a little bit about the option, make them a little bit hesitant. And if you can make them hold one step, then you've got an opportunity to get an angle on the guy and block him. Right. And, and I think that's what it's all about. You've got to hold that player, or if you can't hold that player, allow that player to be aggressive and then trap him or do something differently with these players because they're so physical and they're so quick now that you're now going back to now trying to see how you can use that person's great ability but use it against him. Okay. Now, one of the, the things that people talk about a lot is when they're talking about offensive linemen is, He's a really good run blocker, but he, he struggles at pass blocking or vice versa. What what kind of strengths of, as a player makes you better at one or the other, and what are the different kind of techniques you need to use to, to be good at either one of those skills? Well, I think you need to be a complete player. You know, today you can't find a football team that just runs the ball every down and, and uh, wins a national championship or a team that throws the ball every down and wins a national championship. There's always an exception to that. Don't get me wrong but you've got to be a complete team. You've got to be able to keep defenses off balance. A, a team that can't think, oh, well, yeah, they're never going to run the ball or they're never going to pass the ball, so we're going to beat them. You've got to be balanced in tact. You always hear Coach Carroll say, we're, we're balanced, we're balanced, we're balanced. You've got to be balanced because that's the toughest thing to stop. But to, to be balanced, your offensive line is a team that uh, the group of people that have to be the most active as far as being able to work together. They've got to stop these great athletes on the run, which means they've got to be able to fire out block. They've got to be able to be strong. They've got to be able to remember they're going to be grabbed and pulled and shoved. And they've got to have great balance to be able not to allow a defensive lineman to shove them to the ground or step over them. They've got to be able to maintain contact and that. And then they've got to be able to have quick feet, drop back off the ball line of scrimmage, and, and, and pass block. And, and you know, there's there's different uh, things that people look. You've got to have longer arms. Like the guy that has the longer arms right now is a better pass blocker because he can keep the, the defensive uh, end uh, or, or tackle away from his body where the, he can't grab him or, or do a, a, a power move on it to go underneath him. So you, you like to have offensive linemen that have real long arms because you can keep the, 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 the defensive player away from you. So it, it, it's, it's not easy to, to pass block, and it's not easy today to run block because of the size and the strength of the defensive lineman. But if you keep a defensive lineman off balance, where that defensive lineman doesn't know really what to expect, he's got to now think they might trap me, uh, this might be a run, it might be a pass, or they might run a draw on me. Now you keep him off balance a little bit, and it gives the offensive lineman a little bit of an edge. That's why play calling, spreading the field, not being able to someone know what you're doing by a formation tendency or a line split tendency or whatever it is, makes it so much easier for an offensive lineman 
to be able to perform his technique. Because if the defensive player knows exactly what you're going to do as far as most of the time, they're willing to take a chance on the 20% of the time that you're, you're running the football if you're not running the football. So uh, they gamble. Remember on defense, if you make the play and even if you went the wrong way, you did the right thing. But on offense, if one guy, one guy breaks down on offense in the offensive line, of all five or six people that are on the offensive line counting the tight end, one guy breaks down, the whole play can be shot. Yeah, play's gone, yeah. <laughs> it's gone. On a Very choreographed, yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. So uh, an offensive lineman, uh, and the offensive line is a family. And remember another thing, the only time an offensive lineman get his name called by the referee or by the television announcers in most cases when they say holding number yeah. 51 red. Something bad so happens. It, it is. Yeah. It, it is. And you normally don't hear many positive things unless you're an all-American tackle and they're scoping in on you and watching the television viewers and so on and they're saying this play they're going to run behind Sam Baker, Wyatt Short Yardage and, and blah blah blah. Yeah, if they so, just happen uh, to pancake somebody on that play, they might replay and show up. But those are few and far between. We're holding, you know, you see that every time a guy makes a play like that. Yeah, and then, there's, and then there's correct ways of teaching holding, too. And don't think that doesn't happen because it's, it's something that, that is just part of the game. Yeah. Well, one of the things we talked about, Coach, is the, uh, you know, we, we mentioned the spread offense a little bit, just how offenses are evolving. Is that something you see... I mean, we get a lot of complaints on the uh, message board since, you know, Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and Lindell White have been gone. So a lot of people have complained about the USC offense now. Um, do you see that changing? And do you see any reason for that to change, like scheme-wise? Well, you know, you, you have to do be able to do what your, what your quarterback can do. Your quarterback's your number one guy. I mean, you talk about uh, John David Booty, you talk about Matt Leinart, you talk about Carson Palmer. They're, they're pure drop-back quarterbacks, NFL type of caliber quarterback that the NFL has always looked for. Matt Ryan right now who's going to be maybe the number one player selected in the NFL draft. Uh, but when you have a more athletic quarterback as right now I'd say yes he has. Now I'm not saying the others aren't athletes. I'm saying speed wise, quickness wise, the ability to maybe run an option, the ability to one, run a little spread, keep the defense a little bit loose. Mustaine did it at Arkansas so it's not like this is new to him. Court uh, did it at uh, Orange Luton. I mean, he ran the ball well when he could. You know, quarterback draws, uh, the option off of the uh, uh, spread formation or the, or the shotgun. Uh, Mark Sanchez loves to run the football. In fact, he's a tough guy when he runs the football. Instead of diving down and sliding, Sanchez is, is throwing his shoulder at him. Yeah. Try, you know, trying to get into the end zone, trying to throw a shoulder. He gets excited about that. Well, and when you have this type of quarterback, then you're a little bit more willing and you think you can do uh, a few more off-balance plays. Where, And when I was a defensive coach, when I knew where the quarterback was going to be at three yards or seven yards, man, it's easier to sort of line up and tee off on it. But if you don't know where that quarterback's going to be, like when I had Randall Cunningham at UNLV, I'm going to tell you, he caused the quarterback the defense fits because he would drop back to pass and throw the ball. If it wasn't there, run the ball. Or I put in certain plays where I spread the field with no remaining backs, and we just call quarterback draw. 
and he would drop back and run up the field 50 yards. So Randall and could run so, a little bit? Oh, Randall, oh. <laughs> Don't you remember when he went into the yeah. NFL the first year as the third down quarterback with Buddy Ryan? He was a... So, well, the ultimate weapon, I think, they put on the cover of Sports Illustrated, something like that, when he came in. Yeah, something, something like that, yeah. So, you know, and, and right now, the quarterbacks at SC, I'm not saying they're better than the ones we talked about, but I'm saying they're a little bit more athletic, what I mean by running running ability. I don't know if they have the throwing ability, obviously, they always had. We'll, wait, we'll have to wait and see on that. Definitely. But I'm, you can do a few more different things with your offense, and you and you're not just always rolling out, or you're not just always dropping back, but you're doing some things that might keep that defense guessing a little bit more, which gives you the ability to have more of a wide open type of attack. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Coach. Well, hey, I appreciate it. it was a great uh, football one-on-one segment. We are out of time. When we come back, we're going to talk recruiting with Gerard Martinez. But, Coach, as always, I just want to thank you for your time. I think it was a lot of great insight today. And thank you, and Ryan, to all of our listeners that are out there. Happy Easter to you and your family, okay? Right, yeah. Thanks very much, Coach. You're listening to the Parastyle Podcast with Ryan Abraham and the coach, Harvey Hyde. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Okay, welcome back to the Parastyle Podcast, episode six. We're in the second segment. We're going to talk a little recruiting with uh, Gerard Martinez, who happens to be feeling a little under the weather today. So thank you for taking out your your orange juice time to talk with us, Gerard. (laughs) That's okay. I've been doing better, but uh, good to be here. I can't believe we're already on episode six already. Crazy, I know. It's just time's flying. Uh, I, we're gonna do. We're not gonna let Gerard produce his recruiting blitz today because he is sick. We just want to kind of get that information out there. So we'll do a little impromptu recruiting blitz. So Gerard, what's the uh, latest going around USC recruiting? Uh, USC has been pretty active in Texas. Obviously, the coaches are away for spring ball, but. Uh, Late last week, um, they were you know doing some work, and uh, Dustin Hopkins is uh, the nation's top kicker, or at least projected as. And uh, it sounds like USC has had some contact with him. He and his dad actually called USC a few times, and just wanted to get a little more interest. And uh, a lot of people always talk about USC not going out and really getting the best kickers and, and the punters, and really relying more on walk-ons. Well, this is a kid that uh, definitely a scholarship type player. It's, Remains to be seen if USC is going to actually offer him a scholarship, but he's definitely uh, in the mix. Uh, big time kicker from Houston. Big we did have a question on that, Gerard. We did have a question uh, on the kicker, so I'm glad you got to address that right away. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, we uh, there's a you know always a, it is a question. You know, do you spend a scholarship on a kicker, or can you get a guy that can walk on that can do the job? Um, USC's been very successful with walk on kickers, so you know it's it's. It's tough, you know. They've had Troy Blair come came through, 
as a guy who's a scholarship guy, uh, you know, the guy they have now, I think, would maybe the difference between actually going after a guy with a scholarship and, and not is, is Jordan Compton. And that's a kid who transferred from Nebraska and uh, was a guy that had a scholarship there, came here last year. And I don't think he's on a scholarship now. I think he still has to earn that. He does. And, he's, uh, he's a walk-on. We ended up talking to him when he transferred in. We actually got the first interview with him. Uh, and his his mother was really nice and uh, and let us talk to him during the off season and you know he actually kicked a field goal against USC in that Nebraska game so it's funny you That's got right, yeah. yeah you got you got a couple of players from Arkansas that you know scored a touchdown you have like gave him what <laughs> scored a touchdown against USC the, there's players on the team that has actually scored points against the Trojans which is kind of funny. It's all about competition, right? Yeah. I guess that's the ultimate competition, getting guys that actually have, uh, have beaten you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's probably going to be the difference between uh, Dustin Hopkins getting a scholarship or not really getting a feel for, uh, for Jordan Coggin and see how he does his spring and you know over the summer. Um, also, uh, another kid from uh, Texas, uh, from New Brunsville, Texas, a uh, kid named Tom Hort. Uh, Tom Hort was uh, actually a, a kid that came over from uh, Britain a number of years ago, spent, uh, I think, three years in Rhode Island and then moved to Texas uh, just recently and just played high school ball there. He's kind of the Sam McGuffey, maybe, of this year. <laughs> this year. He's a, really, a lot of people have found out about him through uh, YouTube. He's got some uh, pretty impressive highlights on YouTube. He's a 6'1", 210-pound linebacker, was the San Antonio Defensive Player of the Year in that area, and uh, had 213 tackles as a junior. That's a lot of tackles to wrap your mind around. That's, it, that's in one one year. That's his junior year. Like a 10-game yeah. high school season. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a kid. But no, no, no. It was, uh, I mean, in, in Texas, they actually have 16 games um, with oh. playoffs and everything. I, I think it ended up probably being 14 games he played in. Um, so, But still, 213, it's ridiculous. But uh, So USC's been in contact with him uh, just recently. He might be a guy to watch. Um, I think you're going to probably need to see <laughs> more evaluation on him because he's uh, the size is going to be an issue. You know, he's, he's 6'1", 210. Um, that could easily turn out to be 5'11", 200 pounds. So you want to kind of do a little more research on that. But uh, he's a guy on the radar for USC. Um, USC uh, recently got in contact with Newkees Richardson also. He's a 5'9", uh, 150-pound wide receiver from Pahokee High School in Florida, a rival 100 uh, prospect already. And uh, he's going to be a guy that uh, we have to watch out for. He wants to come out to the Rising Stars camp and uh, – at this point, he's got that planned out. So it should be a very interesting uh, interesting year here coming down. And this summer, there's still some evaluation to be done and probably still some scholarship offers to go. And uh, and probably, you know, rounding out uh, the, the impromptu blitz, <laughs> it would be Vontaze uh, Borfic, uh, you know, the 6'2", 235-pound, now a five-star. Five-star uh, now. Oh, he got better. He's a five-star. Right? Uh, no, well, kind of, sort of. He's <laughs> Uh, number 15 still, but uh, Rivals decided to expand the five-star rankings just a little bit, and he is uh, the last five-star at this point pre-evaluation um, to gain that ranking. But uh, congrats to him. Uh, he's had a he's had a great uh, great springer. You know, he had a good semester last year with his 3.0, and got the scholarship offer from USC. Now he's a five-star. He's uh, definitely uh, taken off here. Um, and uh, also, now that's that's all of USC's old hand commitment. Uh, from USC are now ranked at least in rivals uh, 250. So everybody that got on the board at this point is a four-star or five-star, which pretty impressive considering uh, usually don't see this many commitments you know, this time of year for USC. And yeah, signing day is still out. a little ways away, and they already have 10 four- or five-star guys already committed. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, 
They had a lot of momentum in recruiting. It's kind of slowed down a little bit because it's not really the biggest, you know, popular time of the year for recruiting. So we'll see what happens when spring ball starts. Maybe they'll pick up a couple more, and uh, we'll be definitely keep checking on the website to to see what the latest is going on. Uh, just a little clarification on the five star. Um, typically, at the end of the year, rivals the rivals one hundred. The top twenty five or so are five star. Is that how it usually works? Yeah, it's usually a first team. All-American, uh, like first-team selection of All-Americans, they end up being five stars. Um, it's 25, 28. It just depends on the year, you know, how, how good the class is and, and how deep they want to go. Sometimes it's uh, it seems like it's a struggle even to get to 20. But, that's that, yeah, that's usually the, the five-star. That's usually how they look at it. Okay, and then right now, because of pre-evaluation periods, they're really just doing – they have 15 right now, and they'll expand that over the course of the recruiting year. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, we had a wow. I hope you're okay there, Gerard. We had a. We need. I need to get a cough button for your your phone over there. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm dying. I'm All right. Dying. Well, that was a, a great improv recruiting. But we do have a couple of questions. Well, someone did email about the kicker situation, and you did uh, address that. That was great. One of those uh, four star commitments is a wide receiver, uh, fastest if you know one of the fastest, if not the fastest. Player, football player in California, Randall Carroll. I wanted to know um, how soft is that that verbal commitment from Carroll? Um, it's probably, I, I think it, it's it's a stronger commitment than it was maybe when he originally made it. Um, we talked about it a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you know it was early. I, I don't know if he felt completely comfortable with it as early as he made it, um, and, and there's been a lot of talk. I, I think at this point. He really likes USC. I think going down to the junior day in February kind of solidified uh, his interest in USC. Um, he's going to take official visits. and It's just one of those deals where a guy, you know, he feels like he's got to still see some schools. He's still got to, you know, kind of explore his options. USC's his number one. And uh, I, I think it's okay. I, I, I think really the only school that's really going to compete with that commitment is probably going to be Cal. Yeah. Um, he's going to go check out Florida maybe and, and Georgia maybe. That's a long ways away for an LA kid, yeah. but I think Cal is the one school that that's probably uh, probably fighting for him the most and might have a, a chance to kind of sway him away from USC. You know, it's funny when uh, you know, back you know a couple of years ago, if Carroll had committed early, he'd be one of like three commits at this time of year, maybe. And uh, it, you know, you kind of get a little bit more hype. But if you get a whole bunch of guys committing already, it kind of steals away your thunder a little bit. So maybe that made him like, oh, you know. I'm not the man anymore. I want to, you know, I'm just one of ten superstar guys. Maybe I want to look around a little bit and get a little more attention. Possible, or he just really not necessarily 100 percent sure that USC is the, the school for him because that's probably the only school he's seen at this point. So 
yeah, it, it goes back and forth, and so people feel like, hey, you know, if you're going to commit, commit, and don't, you know, necessarily go and try to play your other options, but, you know, USC's never had an issue with that. They've always allowed kids to commit and go and take official visits, so it's just moving the process, and people are not used to kids committing this early and then turning around and saying, well, you know, we can, um, uh, we, we, I can still go look at other schools and everything. So, you know, they're, you're used to kids, you know, committing maybe early during the, during the season, and then, you know, later on going, well, you know, I want to take a couple of trips in December. It feels better because, you know, in December you're going, wow, that kid's already done deal for USC. So that's, that's I think, maybe the difference between a fan's perception of it. All right. And uh, for everyone, if you do have questions for us, you can email podcast at uscfootball.com or go on to the uscfootball.com, post them on the Peristyle. Uh, most of the questions today are coming from uh, David, who is a lawyer. Uh, so I, I guess he's used to asking a lot of questions. But if you don't want to hear all of his questions, then you can ask a few of your own. Um, one of the this is an interesting one. If you ever like, if you ever gone to the airport and uh, they said they need to uh, clear some seats and they'll give you a free round trip somewhere if you decide to take the next flight, it's because they give they sell more tickets than there are seats on the airplane. Obviously, you only have so many scholarship you know scholarships to give every year. No, no, we had we had a rough time. Yes, don't fly United Airlines. I think is a. Yeah, that's, um, I, I was wondering the law, and then all of a sudden we're talking about you know plane tickets and. Oh, what a pain that was! But uh, so, you know, say USC has twenty three scholarship off, scholarships available, they're not going to give just twenty three offers. They're going to give a lot more. What is the kind of rule of thumb? If, if there's 20 rides, do they, they offer 40 guys, or is it just is it really dependent? Could you know vary widely. Uh, I think it depends on who they feel they can get committed early. What offers they put out there that are to guys that are long shots. I mean, you can offer 50, 60, you could throw 100 offers out there to Alabama. <laughs> you're probably not going to get a lot of commitment. So you know that kind of changes if if you're offering guys that you feel all these guys are going to commit, then your offers are going to be lowered. Usually in a given year with USC, you got probably about 50 to 60 scholarship offers. That tends to be, that tends to be about the number where they, uh, where they kind of bottom out. I think... Um, that would know, be on the low end nationally, right? Like That, that would probably be, fair, yeah, fairly on the low end nationally. I think, um, you know, other schools have taken the kind of shotgunning offers out there. They put a lot of offers early. There are verbal offers that you can't commit to. That's become a you know a kind of a, a thing that's you know gone on the peristyle. A lot of people asking questions about that. These contingency offers, um, but I, I think USC they offer the guys they really like, and it's national, and they're going to go out and they're going to offer a guy. Hey, you know Sam Montgomery is an example, defensive end, uh, just made the rivals 100 um, from from South Carolina. That's a guy that you would consider to be a long shot. Uh, Nico Johnson, this guy is probably going to be a five star guy down the line from Alabama linebacker, great player, probably going to be a long shot. But, you know, USC feels evaluation-wise, they're not doing their job if they don't offer the best players. That's basically what it comes down to. So they're going to throw some offers out there that are, you know, hey, it's a long shot, but we got to do it. we got to put our foot in the door, make an attempt to do it. This is a great player. And, and we have the guys that get the offers that USC knows going in. If we offer this kid, he's probably going to commit. So we need to be very, you know, cognizant of that, you know, how he fits in the class and whether we're really ready to accept his commitment yet. So that always kind of plays it. So, but, but in general, yeah, I think you're, you're looking at, you know, 55, 65 scholarships, somewhere around there, depending on the year, depending on how much talent's out there, and, and obviously how many uh, out-of-state offers go out. Okay, and then if you have, 
you know, say this time of the, of the year, maybe two years ago, if they only had two commitments and they still had 20 rides or so available, then that you could have more offers out there. Now that you have 10 commitments, if you only have 10 rides available, do they have to kind of scale back on some of the offers? Do they take any of those away? How does that work? Well, you know, they well, that's why, you know, you, you have to really know going into it because you don't want to take offers away. Um, you have to be smart, and I, I think uh, I think it does slow down the process a little bit. You have to be a little more picky. Obviously, offensive line is going to be very interesting because you've got, I mean, two to three uh, positions open on the offensive line this year after taking five guys last year. And you've got, you know, like three, four offers out there to guys that all are pretty interested in USC. They've got an offer to Xavier Sofilo. They've got an offer to John Martinez. They've got an offer to Mason Walters. Those are three big-time linemen, three linemen who are ready to camp. But can they take all three when they've already got Kevin Graff committed? That's that's where you start to get in the community. It becomes difficult. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. But that's but those are the kind of things, those kind of situations you get into. You want to offer the best players. Um, but then you've got to gauge, you know, who's going to commit, who's going to be a guy that's going to wait longer. Um, it, it, you do have to time it out a little bit. You don't want a bunch of guys committing at one position, and all of a sudden you're going, wow, we're taking too many guys at this position. Okay. Um, all right, well, we'll give you one more question and let you get back to your herbal tea and uh, aromatherapy or whatever you're doing over there. Trying to... Naked orange juice, that's, that's what I'm drinking. Orange juice is good stuff. Um, this is the David, the lawyer, again. The As a lawyer, he really wanted to know, what does it actually say on a written offer. So, I mean, you can give a verbal offer to a, to a player, to a prospect, when they actually send a written offer, is there some form letter or is it just kind of just like some letterhead that's like, hey, you know, we're offering you a scholarship? Gee, the last time I actually saw a written offer was years ago. Uh, it was just letterhead basically from the university and it could be a handwritten note from the coach that, you know, saying, hey, we really love you, kid, and we want you to come out here and, and do great things for us. I've seen uh, letters that have been typed down just signed by coaches too. They're actual, you know, actual scholarship letters. So that, it could be either way. It's it's not. It's just an official letter from the university because it's got official letter at, um, from the university. I, it's not any kind of. Uh, it's not a binding agreement until they. No, act, no, 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 no. Yeah, no. until letter of no, intent day. Until they can actually sign a letter, nothing's binding. You could say, you know, we are offering you a scholarship in written, you know, in written form, but it, that doesn't really. It, it's it's not really. It doesn't mean anything. No, it doesn't. I mean, you don't. This is where you get into sticky situations when you throw written offers out there, and the kid wants to commit to it, and then you back out of it and say, "Well, you know, we don't want you to commit yet." There, there we go back to the contingency offer type things. I mean, it, it, it that gets complicated. But as far as the the offer itself, I mean, it's a scholarship offer. It's not. Uh, there's there's no there's no application involved with it. There's nothing that that comes with it that the recruit himself signs or or has anything binding, it, it, all that is, is, is later, you know, after signing day and, and, and on signing day, you know, they have all kinds of, you know, they have, actually get three letter of intent um, uh, on signing day. They get they get one, that's the make-believe one that they, you know, sign in front of the press and all that kind of good stuff, and then they get another one that's the actual one, and then they get another one, I think, for like a plaque or, or, or you know, if you want to put it up or something. So, um, you get three rows, and that's, you know, a different thing entirely, but written offers, or uh, they're just letterhead, you know. Like I said, they can be handwritten by the coaches. They can print it out. Um, no special like wax paper or anything <laughs> crazy like that. No, it's not laminated. Okay, great. All right. Well, hey, that's uh, a great recruiting segment, Gerard. When we come back, we're going to do the campus crawl. Obviously, 
the USC basketball team's got a lot of exciting stuff going on, playing in Omaha, Nebraska for the NCAA tournament. But again, Gerard, thank you for taking uh, your time, the time out of your day when you're uh, not feeling great. Okay, back to my deathbed. Yes, there you go. Feel good, and uh, we'll be back after this break. Stay tuned for more of the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. And now, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. All right, welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast, our third and final segment for our sixth episode of the podcast. It's the USC Campus Crawl. It's a little slow on campus this week. It is spring break, so all the players have uh, gone their respective ways. Um, there are no off-season workouts this week. They're going to start up with spring practice next week on Tuesday is the first day of spring ball. So the uh, reports we were giving you from these off-season workouts, we're not going to have one this week because they are on spring break. Uh, the biggest news is obviously USC basketball starting up in the NCAA tournament. So let's get started with the campus crawl. Basketball. Tim Floyd and the Trojan basketball team. We'll start off as a number six seed in the NCAA tournament, taking on the very talented Kansas State Wildcats. They are the number 11 seed. The game will be played on Thursday in Omaha, Nebraska, with a tip-off time at 6 p.m., 6.10 p.m., actually, local time, Pacific time. And the announcers are going to be Kevin Harlan and Dan Bonner. So you can check that out on CBS Sports. Uh, Tim Floyd was a little upset that they didn't pull off that win against UCLA, but he did like the way they played. Um, you know, the Bruins, obviously, a lot of people are picking them to win the national championship, and, and USC played them tooth and nail. I was actually down there at the Staples Center for the Pac-10 tournament, and uh, it, it was a great showing. I think they, they played really tough against Arizona State. Uh, you could tell that they were, uh, you know, fired up and ready to go, and they just couldn't put it quite together for the Bruins. Uh, they had that nice lead at halftime. Kevin Love came out and just went on fire, and there was nothing they could do. Two uh, old-school three-point plays where he got fouled underneath, hit the bucket, and hit the free throw. And then Kevin Love drained a three. He scored 11 points in the first four minutes of that second half and kind of put USC in a hole they could never dig out of. Um, the little mini tournament uh, in Omaha, Nebraska – they're playing Kansas State, obviously, in the first round. Wisconsin is the team losing the number three seed uh, if they are able to get past Kansas State. I do like them to be able to do that. Uh, Michael Beasley and Bill Walker, a couple of, of big-time players. Bill Walker and O.J. Mayo actually played together in high school. Uh, so they're, they're pretty familiar with each other. Uh, but I do like USC's talent there. I, the one problem USC is going to have is if there's a lot of fouls being called in the game, they're really only playing seven guys um, and only six of them are scoring points. So if, if Jefferson or Taj Gibson or uh, OJ Mayo or, or, or uh, Daniel Hackett get in foul trouble, it really could you know, be problems for the USC offense. But I do like them to get past Kansas State. 
looking ahead uh, to Wisconsin, who they would probably play in the second round. They're you know one of the best defensive teams in the nation, but is that because they don't score as many points, or are they just are a good defense? I, I, I like USC in this game as well. I like the matchup because I think the Trojans could play a game in the 50s where Wisconsin likes to play. You saw that against UCLA, where they can slug it out and play tough defense and still score and be able to come out and win. Uh, or they can play a game in the 70s. So they might be able to run a little bit on Wisconsin and try to get them out of their element. But if they do get stuck in that slugfest of a game, they're familiar playing that uh, that style of play as well. So I do like uh, the Trojans to come out and uh, make it to the Sweet 16, just like they did last year, and then we'll see what happens from there. But everyone stay tuned, and we'll have an update next week on uh, Peristyle Podcast about how the Trojans did in the NCAA tournament. Water Polo. The number three ranked USC women's water polo team fell just short of an upset of the number one ranked UCLA Bruins. The Trojans fell to the 21-0 UCLA Bruins at McDonald's Swim Stadium. Next up for USC, they take on UC Santa Barbara at home on March 28th and then at San Diego State on March 29th. Volleyball. The USC men's volleyball team is currently ranked number 12 in the country despite their 9-12 and overall record. This weekend, they'll be busy hosting Hawaii at a pair of 7 p.m. games on Friday and Saturday night at the Galen Center. Tennis. The USC women's tennis team also had a rough go at it against their crosstown rival this week, losing to the UCLA Bruins 6-1. to The number 10-ranked women traveled to Texas to take on the number 18 Longhorns this week. Baseball. The 9-8 and eight USC baseball team has lost four games in a row, including one to UC Irvine and three to rival Long Beach State. Doesn't get any easier for the Trojans when number two Arizona, with their 12-2 record, come into town and take on the Trojans at Dado Field. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.